Hi friends, this is Matthew J. DiStefano, author of Heretic from the Blood of Abel and your favorite co-host of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Now here's Jason Elam. Welcome in everyone. This is Jason Elam. I am so grateful to be joined this week by my good friends, Carl and Laura Forehand. Welcome in, Carl and Laura. Hello. Hello. Welcome back. Yeah. Y'all have had some major, major events take place since the last time we talked. Carl, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, about, um, well, I guess today is February 20th. So just about, it's been one month Mm -hmm. ago that uh, during the week, I started feeling some weird symptoms. I'd had had kind of an energy drink. That's not, I don't ever do that. I don't drink pop or anything like that. I had an energy drink and came home. My arm was tingling a little bit and um, just was feeling kind of weird. My blood pressure was up, so I got my blood pressure down and went back to work the next day and started feeling a little bit different. Um, My foot was dragging a little bit, and I came home, took my blood pressure again, and, you know, relaxed and took my medicine and got my blood pressure down. But then the third day, on, on the Thursday, about the 20th, I was really feeling bad at work and told my boss to take me to the nurse and we measured my blood pressure. You know, it was about 160 and it wouldn't come down. So I left work and got an appointment at the doctor on the phone in the parking lot and drove to St. Joseph, Missouri and went to the doctor, saw the nurse, what's the nurse practitioner mm-hmm. and said, yeah, my blood pressure is high. I told them about my symptoms and they sent me home, something they probably shouldn't have done. But then the next day, Talked to my daughter's nurse, and we went to the ER really early in the morning. So there, my blood pressure was high again, and I'm feeling a little, my, my foot's still kind of wonky, you know, but my arm was moving, my, my left, I, I wasn't having any speech things going on or anything. But eventually, after we were there long enough, they confirmed that I, I was in the cycle of having a stroke and just didn't leave the hospital uh, for the next two and a half weeks, really. I was under, you know, kind of tight care and on blood thinners and test after, you know, taking test after test and so on. Eventually that led to acute rehab, which was a couple of weeks, two and a half weeks, Mm -hmm. something like that. I think it was two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, just right at two weeks. Right at two weeks. And then... Um, almost immediately the next Monday after we were released on Friday, it was sent to Kansas City to a, a thing called Ability KC, which is a day rehab. So we just have been in the process of, which I, I understand is the best thing for a stroke, to immediately start working on your recovery because the longer you wait, the harder it is. And so, you know, almost immediately we're just, committed to, to doing everything we can and rehab and working as hard as we can. But at the same time, it's just a life-changing event. I've struggled all my life to overcome my heredity <laughs> with health issues. And, the, you know, this feels kind of like, a, um, I don't know, lost the battle or something. So here we are. We're, we're back home. Today, my brother, brother-in-law and sister-in-law 
built a ramp, which hopefully I eventually won't need. But my grandson Jackson will use it, and older people will have a ramp now. <laughs> and it's beautiful. And so I appreciate those people uh, doing that. But just just every day is a new adventure, a new struggle. So, so you that's, mentioned that's the early happens. symptoms before you went to the hospital. And they said you were in the cycle of a stroke. Now that's new terminology for me. Did the did the symptoms worsen while you were there? Just in the time when I was at the ER, you know, and I remember in the beginning, I went to the bathroom on my own, you know, and walked to the bathroom and the nurse and Laura were kind of scolding me about you know, wait for us and don't get in a hurry, you know, because my foot was dragging a little bit, but I was still able to walk. But within an hour or two after I got there, my my arm just stopped moving and, and my leg wouldn't work anymore. So, you know, sometimes I think strokes progress really quickly and sometimes it's, it's slowly. They called it the evolution of a stroke, yeah. the nurses, while we were there. So I left Friday. So we went into the hospital. They admitted him on um, January 21st. And I came back the, literally the next morning, and he couldn't move his left side. Yeah. But as you can tell by his story, from Tuesday, just feeling a little tingling in his arm, to Saturday where you couldn't move the left side. That's what they're calling the evolution of a stroke. So sometimes that happens over days rather than, you know, what I learned was a stroke is like immediately you start slurring your words, your face starts drooping, you start, you know, having um, dragging of the leg or whatever side, you know, just stops working. But that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. So that was really good information, really good education for me um, that I want to share with people because it's not always that immediate, the immediate effect that you hear when you're learning about, you know, heart disease and strokes and things like that. Sometimes it's a slow progression. Yeah. That's part of what, you know, causes, caused me to ignore it and try to tough it out for a little while is, you know, it's not that bad. So maybe it's, maybe it's really not that bad. Maybe it's not that. And so, yeah, you got to live with those kind of decisions, you know, and the decisions you made. So, yeah, I think my tendency would be if I was at work and feeling bad, I think I would be of the mindset of, well, if I'm able to work, uh, then this can't be that bad, you know, but it in fact was that bad. And I'm grateful yeah. that you got the help when you did. I'm grateful that you didn't just take your doctor's word for it when they sent you home. Um, right. That is really, really mm, disappointing that mm-hmm. they just sent you home in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Once you realized what was happening to you, and once the kind of the full progression hits you where you're not able to move your left side, what's going through your mind, Carl? You're like this adventurous guy. You're always plotting your next adventure. What, how does that hit you mentally? I, I remember saying this kind of over and over again. You know, on one hand, I would say, well, we're going to do whatever we can. You know, we're going to work hard. We're going we're gonna to fight this. And so I would say that, but I remember even in the ER, just looking at Laura and saying, I'm sad, you know, and then I would tear up and start crying. 
Um, it was, you know, it's, it's not really despair, you know, um, because we've overcome other things, but it's just, it's just sadness. You know, I don't want to go through this, didn't sign up for it. And I think that was important though, to acknowledge that from time to time, just that, you know, I feel sad or, or I'm frustrated or I'm angry. Um, and several, several times we admit that people. Well, you know, and the people that I understand it the best are probably the rehab doctors and the therapists that deal with people, you know, and, and they would all say, you, you need to feel that. You can't ignore that or it's going to be worse. Right, of course, yeah. yeah. Laura, yeah. when this is all taking place, you, you leave the hospital on Friday and he you know, had some symptoms, but it had not fully developed. You come back and he's not able to move his left side. And you get the word that your husband has had a stroke. I mean, and you see what has happened. How is that hitting you? I would say that Saturday was probably the first day that it just all hit me. And yeah, I would say that that was probably the day that we both kind of broke down. Because... Like I said before, I didn't really know that there was such a thing as an evolution of a stroke. And literally when he, they were testing him all day Friday in, in the hospital, you know, everybody that would come in was, would be like, raise your arm, raise your leg, smile, stick your tongue out, you know, all the, the stroke tests that they do. And he, I mean, he was weaker on the left side, but he was able to lift all that stuff. And just to see him not be able to do that. Yeah, that just, that hit pretty hard. But we, you know, as you know, Jason, we've, we've done a lot of internal work. And so it was really important for both of us to just say, you know, we just need to grieve this. We just need to cry. Um, and it, it's hard because people don't know what to do and they're feeling at a loss of what to do. But a lot of times you know, we want to bypass those emotions. Like, we'll just, you know, think positively and things like that. And I, I finally just said to a couple people that I, I, it's not that I'm not thinking positively, but I really just need to release this grief right now. Um, and, and be, be honest with how I'm feeling. I mean, I was, I was scared. I, you know, evolution of a stroke means things are happening at a slow progression so if this is if this is what happened from Friday to Saturday, what's going to happen from Saturday to Sunday? And you know that that unknown, it's just it's scary. And and I think that and I'm grateful. You know, I look back and I'm like grateful that we have done so much internal work because I probably would not have done that. I would have like um, if I if I cried at all, it would have been you know in the dark kind of thing where no one could see me. And I just, I just think it was really important to just be honest with my feelings and yeah, it's, it's just so much unknown. And it's, it's interesting because you literally cannot think past that moment or it's completely overwhelming because you have no answers. You don't have any answers. People might ask you, well, like, what about this? And I would literally just say, I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I wish I had answers for you, but I don't have any. 
Mm-hmm. So it was just, it was a mixture of grief and, you know, just um, exhaustion. And I can't even think of the other word that I'm trying, that's trying to come out of my mouth right now, but just, you know, not knowing just, it's not really a fear of the unknown, but just absolutely not knowing what was going to happen from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think it's a testament to the connection that the two of you have that you knew that the best thing for Carl was not for you to not cry in front of him. You know, I think think that would have been my effort would have done to try to hide that from him, you know, like buck him up with my strength. Right. But you knew because of the connection that two of you share and all the work that you've done, that sometimes what somebody who's going through something like this needs is somebody to cry with them rather than tell them it's going to be okay. Right. 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 And I understand people's, you know, I mean, nobody wants to come in and go, Oh, wow, this is like really horrible. And I don't know how you're going to come back from this. I mean, nobody wants to say that to somebody that's going through something hard. Um, But, you know, saying like, this is going to be hard. This is, this kind of sucks right now. And you know, mm-hmm. that it's okay to feel whatever. And I feel like the the medical staff, I, I was kind of in awe everywhere we went. Like when we would admit this is how we we're feeling, they were like so affirming of that. Um, so I think like that part of the medical profession has really come a long way. Um, and I'm glad they allow patients to feel how they're feeling and, and validate, validate that. Like, yeah, this, this is hard and it's going to continue to be hard for a while. There's a Facebook group that I like, but occasionally like every other, every third post is something that doesn't really make any sense. And today they said something like with a positive attitude, everything's okay. But some days that's not true. Right. And that's not the best thing you could have is, you know, to, to, to try to bypass what you're feeling. We, you know, I'm thankful that Lauren, I, I think what you're talking about is that we've learned to communicate authentically. Sometimes that means you have to say, you're pissing me off right now, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or I need you to do this. And right. Yeah, and I would say that that's as much, as much work as we've done, we still, are continuing through this process to do it because communication is going to be key. And for either one of us to not really, I mean, we got to find the right time to do it, but not really say how we're feeling. If we're feeling frustrated or irritated or whatever, it's really not beneficial to the whole healing process. If that makes sense. It does. Yeah. So, Carl, rehab, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about what your day-to-day rehab is right now. Can you share a little bit of that for the listeners? And then I have a couple follow-up questions about it. Yeah, in in acute rehab, you live almost in a hospital-like environment, and they take you for three hours a day to do occupational therapy, which is getting dressed, cooking, and trying to move your hand and and so on and get those things working. 
than physical therapy, which is is really draining. It's learning to walk with a cane and a brace and um, learning to go upstairs and, and, and also trying to move different parts of your body and getting those to wake up. That's what they call it. But then also you can have speech therapy if that's an issue. And so in acute rehab, that was three hours a day. And usually you would go to that and then come home and sleep and get up and eat supper and go back to sleep again. So then um, the day rehab now is, is kind of notched that up a little bit where they have a lot of things like robot suit, suits and a lot of technological things that help out. So you do the same kind of three hours or so of rehab plus another couple hours of fitness training and different things. They have groups and that, that you can meet in or even do yoga and so on. So it's about five hours a day. So it's just kind of stepping it up a notch. And then you go home. We're staying with my daughter in Kansas City. Um, but yeah, it's just physically, mentally draining. But every day something's improving a little bit or waking up and you just kind of take that a day at a time and it's real, real slow, <laughs> you know, like yeah. my finger may move a little bit more than it moved yesterday and things like that. There's nothing dramatic or, or quick about it. And we're supposed to be in that for 10 weeks. So we completed the first week last week and, and nine more to go. And originally when you got there, it seemed like you were thinking more like 30 days. Did they, did that get extended or were you just misunderstanding what the plan was? I may not have understood it completely, but they had to do the evaluation before they could move on. So, you know, we, I thought we did very well at acute rehab and made progress and so on. And that's what they said too, but they felt like, you know, I'm responding to some of the treatments. So, the more time all the therapists thought the more time they could spend with us, the better further along we can get. So it's really funny that you mentioned that, Jason, because when we got to the emergency room that Friday, I remember the emergency room doctor telling us, you know, oh, I'm sure you'll be out by this weekend. <laughs> you oh. know, they were like thinking we were gonna be like in and out. I mean, they even said like you you had a stroke, but they just acted like we were going to be out by Sunday and here we are a month later, you know? So it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, I don't fault that doctor. You, you don't know, you don't know until you start doing all these evaluations. So well, and it seems like early on, I remember Carl saying something to the effect of like a mini stroke, like a TIA. And it seemed like it evolved past that pretty quickly over that weekend. Right. So we learned from, I believe, my sister, who's here with us right now, helping to build the ramp and make our home more accessible. She said that a TIA is like a precursor to a stroke. So a lot of times people will have TIAs and, and not, I mean, they might feel like dizzy or something like that, but it's not technically a stroke. So um, she, t- she told me, she goes, you need to tell him to stop telling people that it was a mini stroke. Yeah. He had a stroke that had significant impact on his body. Right. So a TIA is completely different. So again, that's just part of the education uh, that we've been 
that we've been getting this last month about just all the different aspects of a stroke. So, right. yeah, yeah, years ago, I had a series of those TIAs and yeah. thankfully never, um, it went further, it never went any further than that. And so when he initially said that, I, I kind of knew what he was talking about. And when y'all kind of authorized me to share with some folks what was going on, um, I shared about Carl having had a stroke. And one of the first comments that I got on social media was, but it was just a mini stroke, right? It was just a TIA, right? Because I think the terminology changed, you know, we, it, uh, it, it went beyond what the earliest understanding was. I mean, the first thing Carl said was a mini stroke, but uh, I know that over the course of that weekend, there was some significant stuff that went on that kind of changed the way that you talk about it. Right. And, right. and all through this process, I think what's been important for me is, you know, I, I can't even keep up with the education and the, all those things about defining it and so on, because my my entire focus has to be on what do I have to do next? Yeah. And how do I get the energy to do that? And how do I get focused on doing that? And especially when you start off with, I, I just didn't need to go to the bathroom. And uh, I don't even know if I can, you know, if I could stand up and get seated on the toilet. And then when I stand up, I have this thought of how am I going to wipe my butt? Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, about the things you never want to have to think through. Yeah, and a CNA reaches up and does it for you. And oh. you, you get over most of your shame that way <laughs> when you're standing there half naked. And, you know, so you're thinking about those things. How do, you know, how, how do I get into the bathroom without falling down? And how do I recover enough strength to do this again tomorrow? You know, and, and it's things are, are so hard. Like, um, the focus it takes to move something that doesn't move mm-hmm. and to relearn how to move that, uh, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so you, that's, that's just your entire focus is, you know, how do I, I, I would say to them, tell me what you want me to do. And then everything I have went into doing that, mm-hmm. what they told me to do. And, and then, resting up to do it again tomorrow, you know? And so maybe someday I'll sit down and, and uh, educate myself about what went on or how it worked or all that. But right now it's just, you're in the hands of somebody else saying, this is what you need to do to get better and just trusting them and, and trusting yourself that you can do it. How does that feel to you, Carl? Um, you, you, you have always seemed to me like somebody who, uh, wants to be self-sufficient. You want to be, um, able to do all those kind of things. I mean, certainly wiping our rear is something that we all want to do for ourselves. I can't imagine the struggle that you must go through right now on a daily basis. Um, and, and I, I know, cause you know, you and I have had conversations throughout this last month that there's, there's just got to be times when you just get overwhelmed with the sadness. And you've talked about those times where you'll just cry and say, I'm sad and that's good. But how do you find the strength to keep going when that gets overwhelming? I really, I just think that's a core part of me. That's just very determined to overcome whatever obstacles in front of me. 
Um, but but there are times when it's just it's overwhelming, and you know I'm irritating Laura and, and saying the wrong things and so on, and then I just have to say to her, you know, yesterday I said this, I said I'm sorry, I'm just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I can do it. You just try to regain that confidence, and and again, just focus on the next thing that you have to do. Right. Which is, you know, learn to go learn to go upstairs or the next thing I need to do is um yesterday I made soup for all of us. And that was important to me to get through that. And I just did it by myself. Nobody else was around and um made the soup myself. And and then when you get through that one, you have confidence for the next one. Mm-hmm. Like or I kind of mentioned you just gotta focus on the next Gotcha. But I, but I also think, you know, then at time you just say, you know what, I'm overwhelmed. I, I, uh, right now I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. And, and admitting that then helps us to work together and, and kind of get, helps me regroup. Laura, how about you? What kind of gives you the strength to keep going? I know there's probably been times in my life where I'd rather be going through something myself than watch somebody that I love go through something like this. How how do you find the strength to keep going when you're just exhausted and overwhelmed? Well, like I said earlier, I think part of it, and I, I think Carl was expressing this too, is just being honest with how you're feeling right now. Like I said before, communication with us has to be key right now because if he's feeling irritated, I... It's just part of who I am. I take that on as what did I do? And so if he can just express to me like, it's not you that I'm irritated with. I'm just, I'm tired. Um, You know, it takes everything out of me to, to make that soup as much as he wanted to make it. But now I'm exhausted kind of thing. So I want to just say like communication is, Honest communication between us has got to be key for both of our well-beings. But also, you know, I've had to I've had to have some real honest communication with just people, you know, and just tell them, like, I know you want all these answers. I want all these answers, but I don't have any answers right now. Also, what keeps me going is just the good that I've seen and the people that have um, reached out to us. Um, even like, and that people always want to do something, but even like just a text message, you know, how are you doing? Even if I don't get back that particular day, that means a great deal to, to us. And I I don't need anybody to give me any like, like bypassing platitudes or anything like that. I don't need anybody to like give me some pep talk and tell me like, you know, keep going. You're an inspiration. (laughs) Like this is just what you do in life. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain it. I'm not, I love in a way This sounds weird that I have some, some, this connection now with my daughter, Lily Jackson's mom, Mm. because I've been able to go to her and say, you know, tell me about PT. Tell me about OT. Tell me about you know, what's out there and, 
and, and help me make sense of all this. But I've also been able to kind of get a small glimpse into her, her world. And like so many people like to say that, you know, Lily's an inspiration or Jackson's an inspiration. But the truth is, is that when push comes to shove, we all do what we have to do. Mm -hmm. We just do. Right. I mean, there's nothing that is super special about me as Carl's wife. I want to say that any wife would do Brandy would do for you. You would do for Brandy. It's just what you do. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know how else to explain it except, and that's what keeps me going is when people are just like, you know, just checking in on us, but I don't need anyone to tell me that I have this incredible strength. I, we all have it in us. I really believe that. I really believe we all have it in us. Now, not everybody gets to that place that we are where you have to um, exhibit that strength, but that doesn't mean it's not in you. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask, and I felt like it was probably premature because I know you're still in the thick of this right now, both of you. Um, But I wanted to ask, what have you learned from this experience? Because you're both such great teachers that you're always trying to learn from every, or you're always able to draw lessons from everything. Um, is there anything that you could say, yeah, I've, I've learned this going through this? Uh, maybe just about strength that you didn't realize you had until you needed it, like you just said, Laura. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably part of mine. But I would also say on the flip side of that, like it's okay to be totally vulnerable and... Mm-hmm. Um, feel like you do not have one bit of strength on any particular day, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say, you know, I've talked a lot about communication, communication between us, communication with other people. Um, that's still really hard for me. I feel like communication between Carl and I is a little bit easier than communication with other people. Like, um, I would also say that something that I'm really learning is that when people go through something like this, whatever it might be, is one thing a lot of people are like, what can I do to help? Mm -hmm. And I get that. But being on the receiving end of that, that question I know that, and and Lily really tried to explain this to me, that there were, like, when she was in the thick of it with all of Jackson's medical needs, that her executive functioning was, like, you cannot think about anything really in the future. Like, literally remembering to brush your teeth or take a shower drains you of your energy. Mm -hmm. And I understand that now. And so, and I, I want to say this very delicately because I am so appreciative of every bit of help people that have reached out, people that have sent cards. I am so appreciative. You, you have no idea, but to ask somebody, what do you need? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I, and that those early days, I had no idea what we needed. 
I had no idea. What would be way better is if they would say, uh, this is what I want to do for you. I'm going to do this for you. Is this okay? Like, I'm going to send you um, a Casey's card and you use it for gas or whatever you need, or I'm going to go build a ramp for you. Build a ramp for you. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's literally what my sister and brother-in-laws did. They were like, we're going to come up and do this. And I, I, but even, but even if it's, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be even monetary or labor. Um, but just send, send that card. Like, don't, I don't know, or make that phone call or send that text message. Um, but I just know that people that are going through a traumatic life altering situation really don't know what they need. And so it's whatever you do is going to be okay. Yeah. If that makes sense, like whatever you do, to be okay you don't need their permission like just do just do it it kind of seemed like when you're when you're doing your when you're at the point where it's everything you can do to remember to brush your teeth and take a shower somebody asking Mm -hmm. you how can i help you or what can we do is almost another problem for you to solve right it's something that you have to figure out how to answer them that's exactly what i'm saying and and i and I don't mean that with any disrespect. I, I hope I hope you can hear my heart, Jason. That that is I'm not saying like I don't appreciate, appreciate what you know that you want to help, but it it is it was completely overwhelming to even think about what I needed. I had no idea what we needed, what I needed, what Carl needed. Absolutely no idea. So yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And, and maybe, so like what that's taught me is that when I see people that have gone through a traumatic life altering event, people that I know I need to just do, I don't need to get their permission to do something. I mean, if it's big, like build a ramp or something like that, you know, I understand, but like even just to send a text message or send a gift card or something like that, um, they're going to be appreciative if you just do. And we've been kind of conditioned that, you know, the, the pastor, special people are the ones that can encourage and talk to people. And, and so we, we pay people to do that. I think another thing that, uh, that I'm even more averse to now than I would have been before this is the whole idea of miracle, hoping for miracles. Or, or sending me a message that says, I'm praying for a miracle for you. I, I think for me to wait for something miraculous to happen would be the worst thing uh, for a stroke victim to do. Um, the, the doctor, the, the rehab doc, first rehab doctor said pretty directly, he said, I don't, you know, I don't really care what you believe as far as religion. You can believe in whatever you want. He said, but what's going to make you better is what you do, um, the work you do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like that was the pep talk. You better get ready to do the work. You know, don't don't lay in your bed and hope for a miracle. Um, you know, our bodies are miraculous. 
and there and there are miraculous things that happen, but um, it's, it's not really conducive to getting on down the road to to just be hoping for that. Right. Yeah. So, and I know that people say a lot of things with very good intentions, right? I mean, people, everybody who's reached out to y'all has done that out of love. But I almost wonder, now that I'm hearing y'all's side of it going through this, I almost wonder if the whole, please let us know what we can do for you, isn't a form of bypassing. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it, it it's it's relieving myself of yeah. the... Um, obligation to try to do something to help, but I'm putting it off on you knowing that nine times out of 10, you're not going to give me a specific thing to do for you, you know? Um, And I don't think anybody's got that intention. I think it's one of those autopilot things that happens. Right. Yeah. It it takes, you know, kind of creativity and um, effort on their part. And so, yeah. Well, I know that at some point, um, we had one of those conversations, Carl, and I and I was asking you, um, so how long are you looking at being off of work? And I think at that time, you were saying four to six months. Uh, is that still the case? Or do you think, uh, are you thinking about that differently now? Yeah, that's, that's probably still true. And then, you know, like I said, I got nine more weeks of this rehab, and we'll see how far that gets, you know. And uh, my my job is still intact. I'm on medical leave, which is no pay, but we're also looking at short-term rehab or short-term disability, which I've still not been approved for, but I'm hoping to. Again, that's 60% of your salary, but that hasn't come through yet. Right, and they, they tend to fight that as long as possible. Yeah, there's there's out of pocket and you know for the rehab and and all kinds of things and extra costs and so on. So, and you talked earlier about staying with your daughter in Kansas City. Remind everybody how far away from home that is for you. Yeah, that's two hours away. So our plan is to come home on the weekends and be here on the weekends and then be down there all week. They want us to go five days a week for 10 weeks. So mm-hmm. lucky enough to have, have her host us. And then eventually Laurel may start working a little back home. Once I get more capable, mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of the plan. Yeah. So Laura, you've had to step away for teaching for a period of time. Um, how right. does that feel to you? I know that that was um, a huge part of who you are. So um, has that been challenging for you to be out of your routine? Uh, yeah, very, very challenging. Um, it, it was not a decision that came easy. And I mean, I do have days, but I've also applied for Family Medical Leave Act because we just don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know if all my days will be used up or not. And, you know, I want to make sure that my uh, my job is still there whenever I do come back. But, you know, we're, we are hoping with the gains that um, Carl's making and his determination that within a couple of weeks, I can go back maybe for half a week 
we've been talking to our daughter and son-in-law about, you know, transportation, getting Carl to and from Ability Casey and, you know, but my, my whole thing is his safety has to come first. And if he's going to be, you know, cause they have a finished basement. So that's kind of where we're staying, but I want to make sure that he can get around and there's not going to be a fall or a stumble or something that's going to add injury on top of what already is being dealt with. Right. So um, as, soon as, as soon as I feel comfortable with that, you know, but it, it has been, it, it has been tough and I don't like, I struggle to even say that because I don't want people to think like my job means more than my family, but you have to take into consideration finances. You know, we still have, we still have, uh, you know, a house payment and, and bills to pay and food and, and, and whatnot. So, well, and keeping medical things, insurance is pretty important at this point, too, right? Exactly. Yes, yeah, it is. So, and that's something that you know we now for Carl anyway, we'll, we'll pay out of pocket since he's on medical leave. But um, I'm thankful that you know my job takes care of my insurance, so I'm grateful for that. But again, like you said, Jason, I have to have a job in order to have them pay for that insurance. So, yeah. Well, as we've mentioned a couple of times here, and as y'all have mentioned, um, you've got a lot of folks around the, I was going to say around the country, but really around the world who, who love you both. Um, we put together a online fundraiser to try to help you guys through the next few months so far. I think it's like 40 people have given a little over $3,000 so far as we record this, which just blows my mind. I mean, every time I get a little notification that somebody that is, uh, most of the time it's somebody I've never heard of, you know, hopefully y'all know who they are, but um, are, are given this money. And uh, we all want to see you well. We want to see you cared for. We want to see you have everything that you need. And so, uh, Friends who are listening, I know you're hearing Carl and Laura's story today, and <laughs> I know that your heart reaches out to them. And so you may be one who, like me, wanted to send that text, what can we do for you? Well, as you've just heard, that is not the move. And so I will put the link in the show notes for the, the online fundraiser. We want to try to help Carl and Laura through this next few difficult months on this um, unexpected and unwanted journey that they are on. As they said, they didn't ask for this. Um, this is not something anybody would ever plan into their itinerary for 2022, but it's where they are. It's where they find themselves. And so we want to rally around them. All of us, we hear so often, especially from you know washed up church leaders like myself, saying things like, um, the church is the only place you're going to find real community. And Carl and Laura, y'all have challenged that over the last year. But I think what we're seeing with people rallying around you to help you guys through this difficult season is the community that y'all have developed online is just as real as the, the church community that we might experience, you know, sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning. I think it's more real in, in yeah. some ways. Because, because we're not an official member mm -hmm. of the church, you know, that 
that would benefit from having my tithe eventually or or my service or whatever but they're they're not a member of an official group that we're tied to but we're kind of bonded by love which is more genuine to me mm-hmm. we're we're genuinely bonded by love and care for each other and uh, common concern and and I feel that you know one of our friends calls me almost every day you know who I'm talking about um, but then also you have been there all the way through and and then you know dozens of other other people pretty pretty directly have been there for me but then maybe hundreds of people kind of on the outskirts of that um, have really been community mm-hmm. for us right through all this we're grateful you know and then then you had in our family and and local people here mm-hmm. who you know who, i don't know if i'm gonna say the cream rises to the top but you you find the genuine people when you go through something like this mm-hmm. and you can literally feel it you know who who's wow. genuine who's just going through the motions Right. who's bypassing, you know, and so on. But yeah, yeah there's a big difference between the people who talk about you needing a ramp and what a good thing it would be to get you on and the people who show right. up at your house and start building. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 For sure. Carl, while you've been going through this, you've got a book that's about to come out. <laughs> um, has that been a welcome distraction for you? Well, I would say it's been a, it's been a motivation because March 22nd, the novel, The Hotel, will come out. And that's, it's something to look forward to. You know, um, we'll probably still be in rehab. I had to drive back that night for the book signing, but I went ahead and kept it on the books so that, you know, I'd have a goal to be working towards where I can stand up and talk about the book that night and um, maybe broadcast it live or something. But just to have that to, as the next step. That's the next thing I'm doing. Tell us about the book signing. Where is it going to be? What time? All that good stuff. Yeah. So there is there is an online event. Um, so it says something like the hotel book signing. I guess you can find it from my profile. And um, it'll be in, in Rockport here where the hotel is that the book was based on. Um and be I think it's 6 p.m. on March 22nd, and then so we'll do it that night, and, and people will be able to come live to that. Some of the local people here, but also we're probably going to broadcast live that night and uh, just do it. <laughs> Originally, I planned to kind of dress up, and period, you know. For the 1920s, mm-hmm. um, we'll see how all that goes. But our, but at the least, we're just going to make it here that night and and sign some books and and talk about the book and and uh, have a good time. Awesome, very good. So, what else is on the horizon for you? What's next after this book? I know you've always got another idea. <laughs> well, I think on the on the podcast in the desert sanctuary, we're going to be talking about. Um, out in the desert, thriving outside of organized religion. Laura and I have written that book a long time ago, and we, or several years ago, a couple of years ago maybe, and uh, we'll probably release that later this year. I, I hope. Awesome. We're still still trying to 
pull together the, you know, leaning forward thing in April, but I'm, I hope that comes together. <laughs> we'll see. See how much okay. energy I have. And well, one day at a time, right? Yeah, really. Yeah. Just well, I love you both. I'm so grateful that you share this journey with us. Thanks for talking to us about some difficult things that I'm sure are not a lot of fun to talk about. But um, I think we, man, just sitting here listening to y'all, I've learned a lot today about um, what people need when they're going through things like this. So thank you both so much for sharing with us today. Yeah, we love you guys too. Thank you. Friends listening, uh, you're going to find in the show notes a link to the online fundraiser. Please, please, if you're able to um, help support Call and Laura for these next few difficult months, um, if you're able to financially, if not, just send them some encouragement. You can share the online fundraiser if you're not able to give. Sharing, uh, sharing counts. You get credit for that. And helping to share helps spread that word and, and take it to another level. So we really appreciate all of you that have given, donated so far. Every single penny of that is going to go to the forehands. And um, also, you're going to be able to find a link for the hotel, the book, once the uh, the link is out, once the book releases, and information about the book signing. And uh, again, Carl and Laura, love you guys both so much. And I'm so grateful for your journey. And I'm grateful that it's not over yet. Yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. If you found it meaningful, please rate and review the show on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice. Join the conversation by following the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or joining our listener-exclusive Messy Conversations group on Facebook. Finally, check out Jason's weekly Pathios column at MessySpirituality.org. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with another new episode.